moved to Marin County, I was awestruck by its beauty. The natural beauty, of course, uh, when I drove across the Golden Gate Bridge for the very first time, it took my breath away, just being on that world-famous landmark and then watching and seeing the, the Marin Headlands that just come rise up right out of the ocean. It was like something I'd read about in a book or seen in a movie, and uh, it was delightful to me. I, I, I loved where I grew up, don't get me wrong. I mean, what's not to love about it? It was really flat and hot. It was dusty and yet humid somehow mysteriously. Um, hot summer nights, uh, there were swarms of mosquitoes that could nearly pick you up and carry you off. And of course, springtime brought tornadoes, and winter was nothing but ice, it seemed, all the time. What's not to love about where I grew up? No, really, uh, the, the plains and the prairies have their own form of beauty, and I did appreciate where I grew up. But, but my breath was literally taken away upon first arrival in Marin. County, observing Mount Tam, uh, seeing the, the bay waters, the valleys, the beauty of the climate, it was and still is remarkable. Yeah, I have to admit, after 20 plus years of living here in this area, I've lived here now longer than I've lived anywhere else, and I have to say that uh, I don't always take stock of the beauty around me because it has become so familiar to me. What once took my breath away is just rather commonplace because I see it and observe it every single day. It's become rather ordinary, unfortunately, and perhaps that happens to you at times, too. I want to ask you a question. When you hear that God loves you, that God, the living God, the creator of all that is, loves you, you. Let me ask you, does that take your breath away, that thought? Or are you at a place in your life where you kind of shrug and say, yeah, yeah, you're not quite overwhelmed or blown over, bowled over by that thought? I, I want you to know that God desires you to appreciate again how deeply loved by Him that you are. Here's what the Bible says. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The word in that verse, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says see or behold. That's how that verse starts. It's, it's like a bell ringing. It's an imperative used there to say pay attention and do what I'm saying. Look and behold. Because something important is about to be spoken to you. And then right after it says, see, it says, how deep or how wonderful or how large is the love of God for you. How great is it? That is a word used to, to uh, describe astonishment, that which <gasps> takes our breath away at the mere thought of it. That is the type of love for which God loves you. But if you're like me, there are two things that prevent us from reveling in God's love. Two things that, that regularly prevent us from reveling in the love of God. Number one is that we've not yet experienced truly the love of God displayed in Jesus. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. That's one reason that we, we can struggle, obviously, reveling in the love of God if we have never known fully the love of God. Number two is that the love of God has become so ordinary and familiar to us 
that it no longer takes our breath away. And the comfort of living in the love of God sometimes uh, allows us to not uh, revel in it and to rejoice in God's love. Today, we are going to revel in the love of God. Does that sound all right to you? We are going to revel in the fact that God loves you. He said so, and he's demonstrated that love. So today, we are going to exercise reveling in the love of God. In fact, to revel in God's love is the first of TBC's new values. There's six of them, and today we start with exploring the first of them, and this is what it is. Here it is. You ready? Extravagant love. The, the church values God's extravagant love, and for us that means reveling in and declaring the extravagant love of God. Let's read the scripture on your screen out of 1 John, a verse from chapter 3 and then several from chapter 4. Here's what the Bible says. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This morning I would like to share six basic ideas about the love of God and why it is worth reveling in. Six things. We're going to move through them pretty quickly, and uh, I think you uh, will be blessed as we hear and unpack some of the Word of God. Number one is what I've already shared with you, is that God's love is astonishing. Now, if you're keeping score at home, you have the opportunity today to fill in some blanks, and an email was sent out uh, this uh, before Sunday, and uh, if perchance you missed that email, you can just pull out today a blank piece of paper, and uh, as the first slide comes up, you can uh, put uh, some blanks there and try to uh, fill in as you go along. Six items that we're going to explore today about God's love. First is God's love is astonishing. The type of love that takes your breath away, as I've already described, and we revel in the astonishing love of God. We as individuals revel in the astonishing love of God. We revel in the extravagant love of God as a body of believers, as a, 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 a an expression of faith, a community of faith, uh, seeking to love God in His fullness. Number two is that God's love is blank in blank. God's love is headlined in Jesus. God's love is headlined in in Jesus. You want to understand the love of God most fully and completely? Understand Jesus. Where do you look to really know what God's love is about? Look at Jesus. You see, it was love that sent Jesus into the world, that he left heaven to come to take on flesh to live among us. John 3.16 reminds us that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only unique son into the world. 
so that all who would believe in him would never die but have eternal life. Love sent Jesus to earth. Love also sent Jesus with a purpose. We talked about that last week out of John 10.10, that Jesus' mission on earth was to come to provide the fullness of life to anyone who would reach out and receive the gift of his forgiveness and, and receive his life into theirs. They now know the fullness of life. So that was his purpose. Uh, love sent Jesus to earth. Love sent Christ uh, with that purpose to uh, give full, uh, the fullness of life. Love also sent Jesus to the cross. The Bible says that greater love is no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. That's just what Jesus did. Here's the backdrop of 1 John, that this little letter that uh, John the Apostle sends to uh, uh, some churches. We, we think it's a circular letter, meaning it was sent to a group of churches in a particular region. And here's what seems to be happening in this setting is that there were some people who had been part of the churches who have now left the church because they are now, for some reason, denying the, the Messiahship uh, of, of Jesus. They, they are denying that Jesus came truly in the flesh, denying that he really was able to die for sin and to deal with sin through his death. And so this letter is sent in part to be spoken and read to various churches in that region to, to communicate the reality of the gospel. And uh, uh, John is trying to communicate to the people that the gospel is the centerpiece of God's interaction with people. If there is no gospel, there is no good news. If there is no gospel, there's no hope. And we might as well pack it up and go on. Here's what the gospel is, according to the Bible, that Jesus really did come into the world. He, in the incarnation, he took on flesh, real flesh and bone and blood, and he walked among us. That he really did go and die a real death on a cross. And that death is meaningful. We'll talk about that in a minute. And that he really did, in bodily form, he was raised back from the dead to life again. Because he, in his resurrection, he conquers sin and death and offers that as a gift to you and me as we receive the power of the gospel in our lives. You see, the gospel is the centerpiece, the incarnation, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. We revel in God's love that is headlined in the person of Jesus. We revel in that love displayed in Jesus. Thirdly, today, God's love, blank, us into his blank. God's love accepts us into his family. God's love accepts us into his family. In the first chapter of the Gospel of John, we are told that God has given all of those who have received Jesus the right to become children of God. And then here in 1 John chapter 3, as we've already read, uh, we are told to take the hard look and to rejoice and to, to have your breath taken away at the great love that God has lavished on you, the extravagance of the gift of God's love for you. That we should be called the children of God, and that is just what we are. Hallelujah for that. How does this happen? Well... We read in 1 John chapter 4, in verse 9, the scripture says, This is how God showed his love among us. 
He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Isn't that good? The love of God has come, and through the work of Jesus on the cross, his death for us as an atoning sacrifice, he then adopts those who, who would receive that forgiveness, receive the work that he's done, receive the new life he desires to offer you. He adopts you now into his family, because it's only in the cross of Jesus, only in Jesus' death for you, that your sin... Your personal sin can be dealt with. It's only in the cross of Jesus and in the death of Jesus that that which blocks your ability to truly and fully know God, that that roadblock is removed and God has come fully and completely to you. Listen to me now. Have you today received in your heart the forgiveness of Jesus for your personal sin? Rejoicing. And the fact that Jesus loves you because you cannot and will not have peace with God until you fully confess your sin to Jesus, receive his forgiveness, and repent of those sin, and walk now in the new life that Jesus wants to offer to you, the full life Jesus desires to offer to you. This is the atoning sacrifice, that which makes you at one with God. We have, for eight years now as a church, we've gone to the Migrant Farm Center in Davis, California, working with our sister church, Line Road Baptist Church, and there we've uh, enjoyed the, the fellowship and getting to know many of the Migrant Farm residents of that, that center and providing vacation Bible school and, and offering things to them, but we get just as much out of the joy of being with them and fellowshipping with them. And, and over the years, recognizing people and remembering them from years past, and one of the people that we have come to know as a church so deeply and appreciate so much is Roberto. Roberto is uh, the, the, the manager, so to speak, of the, the Migrant Center. And, and over time, he has been such a person of peace for our church and our ministry there, opening literally opening doors for us and figuratively opening doors for us, helping pave the way for God's work and his gospel message to be known and shared in that place. We have just been notified this past week that uh, Roberto has given his life to Jesus. He's gone through baptism, believers' baptism in the Lord Jesus. And for those who have met him and uh, have enjoyed his company and, and have watched the way that he has uh, come so close to us, become such a good friend over the years, it is something worth rejoicing. You see, Roberto has come to a place of understanding and receiving the atoning sacrifice of Jesus for himself. His personal sin has now been taken uh, on the cross of Jesus. He's repented of those sin, and now he is experiencing the fullness of life. But this is what God does. He adopts us into his family. When we accept Jesus, God accepts us into his family. And so we are able to revel in God's love that he accepts you because of what Jesus has done for you. Let's talk more about God's love, shall we? God's love empowers us to love one another. God's love empowers us to love one another. You see, God's love in us 
empower sacrificial living for the good of others. That's If you were to read the rest of the, the letter of 1 John, you would find that, that we are called to sacrificial living as a demonstration of our love to others. You see, when God's love comes into our life, it compels us to love other people. We can't help ourselves but to love other people. Not just that we have these sweet, warm feelings toward other people. That's not what biblical love is all about. What biblical love is, what the love of Jesus is, what the love of God displayed in Jesus is all about, is the initiative-taking, sacrificial, living, uh, compassion-driven life where people's problems are shared by us. And we take personal action in the midst of serving others. That's what love and the love of God is all about. The scriptures say this in 1 John chapter 4. It says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, listen to this now. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us a command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. You see, it's impossible to both know and receive the love of God through Jesus into your life and then to not love other people. If you do not love other people in the way that God has loved you, brother and sister, the Bible says that you have not yet fully tasted the love of God in your life. But God loves you. He loves you so much that He wants to empower you so that you can love other people. I tell you, I've been so blessed watching this church since March when uh, COVID has smashed into our lives and our realities and watching the way many in this church have been loving on other people and delivering food and medicines as needed to those who have struggled to get it. Um, it's been amazing to hear stories of, of some helping others with unemployment filings and, and people providing for others rent and and food needs along the way. Uh, Hand-sewn masks have been uh, made and, and given freely. There have been so many expressions of love in the midst of this uh, time of struggle for so many. And it has been such a sight to behold because when you love other people, you are given giving out to the world and to your church a tangible expression of the love of God. And it is glorious. And I want to applaud you and encourage you to keep it up. You see, we revel today as a church in God's love and it helps you and me to truly love other people. God's love. Next, God's love. There's two blanks here. God's love bubbles up in us to declare His love to others. You see, God's love bubbles up in us so that we might declare the love of God to people who may not yet believe it, to people who may not yet have heard about it, to people who may not yet have seen it on display, yet the love of God so wells up, it bubbles up in us so that we are now free and energetic to communicate and declare it to others. Uh, the Apostle Paul, Second Corinthians, he says this, he says, Christ's love compels us. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ 
and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. You see, love is essential to our witness of the glory of God to others, to our telling others what God has done in Jesus and the full expression of God's love. We are people then who revel in God's love that is designed to be shared with other people. Finally this morning, as we have taken some glimpses of God's love according to the scripture, God's love, God's love does this. It gears us toward the future. God's love, it orients you toward the future. God's love gears you toward the future. Thomas Cahill, the historian, wrote in his book, The Gift of the Jews. He, he described in this wonderful book how, how important the, the Jewish sense of time is and how the Jews, one of their great gifts, Jewish people, one of their great gifts to the world has been the sense of time moving somewhere, that, that life and history have meaning and a purpose, because it's not just what is in the past, time is actually moving somewhere. In other words, time and, and the way we experience time as human beings is not this endless series of circles that repeat itself over and over and over again. Time has a beginning, and time is moving to God's designed end. That is the great gift of the Jews. I commend Thomas Cahill's book to you. Time is like a river. And if you've ever followed or watched or observed a river, you know a river has movement. It is going from one place, its headwaters, to its, its terminus. And so time also is moving somewhere. And so God's love, brothers and sisters, it, it, it gears us toward the future because we know by God's love and in God's love, we are being carried forward in our into our future. God guides us to a point of time in the future. That's why when Jesus, in the Gospel of John, when he was talking some of his last words to encourage his disciples before he returned back to heaven, he says, do not be afraid because I am going, I'm going away, yes, that's true, but I'm going to prepare a place for you, And if I go, Jesus says, I promise that I will come back and I will claim those who are my followers so that we might dwell together forever and ever. That is the great promise of the church. And so Jesus uh, reminds us uh, of that. In uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, the scripture says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Jesus appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. You see, beloved, today we revel in God's love that he leads you into his Future. You place your future into the hands of God, and you leave your future in God's hands, and you trust God for that future, and He will see it through. He will see you through to the very end. You've probably heard the story of the prodigal son, yes? Yes? 
You're familiar with the prodigal son story. You, you know what it is where uh, a father has two sons and he has the older son who seems to be the responsible one, always doing his chores and uh, never uh, going out crazy. And then the younger son one day decides he needs all of his inheritance before his father is, is dead, almost as if he's saying, Dad, you might as well be dead to me. Give me what is due to me after your death. I'm going to go away and start my own life. And so that younger son heads out. We call him the prodigal son because he wastes all of his inheritance out, squanders it. He finds himself in poverty, and he comes back. And he finally, the Bible says, he comes to his senses. Right? That's a good place to start. No matter what has happened in our past, God still has a future for us. No matter how bad our sin might be in the past, there is no sin that God is unwilling to forgive if you offer it to Him and seek His forgiveness. Can I get an amen at home? No matter what you've done, nothing is so bad that God is unwilling to forgive it. Do you hear me now? God will forgive you if you humbly asks, ask for His forgiveness. The prodigal son comes to his senses in that story, and he decides to come back. And, but he doesn't think that his father will accept him back as, as a son any longer. Right? The son had severed ties with his family. That's the point of the story. And yet when the father sees him, he receives him back, and uh, doesn't just receive him back as a hired hand, but as a son. The word prodigal, perhaps in referring to the son, maybe is a misplaced modifier. Perhaps it's better for us to think in that story, that same story about the prodigal father. The prodigal father, the extravagant father, the father who lavished love on a wayward child, the father who was willing to forgive and to receive back with a repentant son, a father who was willing to go to great extents and give. A prodigal, the word prodigal is defined this way, right? wastefully and recklessly extravagant. Wastefully or recklessly extravagant, lavishly abundant. That's how prodigal is described in the dictionary. Now, perhaps the word prodigal should be better attributed to the father, for he was lavishly abundant in his love for the son. He was the one standing, looking out on the horizon, waiting to see someone, his, waiting to see his son come over the, the, the crest of the hill on his way back home. And he longed to see his son again. You see, the, the prodigal father is the one who gave even though he was insulted. The prodigal father is the one who longed for and waited for his son. The prodigal father is the one who dealt gently with the frustrations of his older son. The prodigal father is, uh, is the one who received uh, his son back. He was wasteful of his inheritance. Um, and he drew an, threw an expensive party to celebrate the return of the son and received him back, not as a hired hand, but as the son that he really was. He was now part of the family. Again, that is the love of the prodigal father. The extravagant love of this father is the extravagant love that this church desires to celebrate and to revel in. It's one of our six values uh, that we are uh, looking toward adopting uh, in the very near future as a church. The extravagant love of God, it is worth being reminded that it should take our breath away. It is worth reveling in and declaring out to the world that God's love is so recklessly extravagant.
extravagant, that it would call a sinner like me. The Apostle Paul describes himself as, as a sinner and the one who, who is most who is least deserving of, of being saved in the good grace of God. And perhaps you feel that way today. I want to remind you, beloved, that God loves you. This day has all been about the love of God and how it's displayed in the person of Jesus. But that's not just displayed in the historical story, but it's offered to you today, fresh today. Perhaps you're listening today. You've never given your life to Jesus. You've never opened yourself up to receive His forgiveness. You've never uh, confessed your sin to Jesus and asked Him to forgive you for it. Today, I want you to encourage you to make today Don't let the sun go down today without asking Jesus to forgive you of your sin, to to turn away from that sin so that you can walk now in the fullness of the life that Jesus offers to you. God loves you so much. God loves you in such a prodigal way, and it is worth reveling in, and I hope we will do that this day and every day of our lives. Father, we pray today. That you would burn and singe in our hearts and minds the, the depth and breadth and the wonder and amazement of your great love for us. Refresh us with knowledge that you love us and that we individually and collectively are loved. Help us to walk in the love of Jesus now, I pray in his name together. Amen.